you have your Bibles, I invite you to t- open them up and turn to, starting out, I'm going to go all over. We're going to do a bit of a sword drill almost tonight. I've got so much scripture. But you remember last week we talked about the sovereignty of God as far as in missions and how there is a man-centered gospel and how there is a God-centered gospel. Man-centered gospel would very simply be Arminianism. God-centered gospel would be more of a Calvinistic viewpoint. So as we look at these two approaches, I'm going to get you to turn, start turning to Ephesians in chapter 1. It should always be our driving motive when it comes to missions. Ultimately, it's the glory of God. The reason we go, the reason we tell, the reason we share Christ with a lost and dying world is ultimately that God might be all the more glorified. When we think about how we ought to pursue God's glory, we need to pursue God's glory over man's good. Ultimately, the ultimate is the glory of God. That's how we ought to live. Now that drives us to a question, shouldn't we be passionate and have compassion toward the lost? I'm telling you, yes, we should. Yes, we should, but it should not supersede your passion for Jesus Christ and Him to be glorified. Ultimately, what is our driving force in life is to live to the glory of God. Now, let me show you some scripture backing some of that up. As we started on this topic last week, I want you to notice in God's Word, in the book of Ephesians, how many times the Word of God focuses upon things that are for us, what God has done for us. And notice also what we have because of what God has done. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to notice first off in verse 3, it is God who has blessed us. God is the one who's blessed us, and it goes on to say, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice in verse 5, it is God who has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. In verse 7, the Word of God tells us what we have. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In verse 8, It says he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In verse 9, it tells us he's made known unto us the mystery of his will. In verse 11, it says we have obtained an inheritance. I want you to notice all this, what God has done for us. We point that out because we must ask the question, why? Why would God do all that for us? I want you to notice it's all because in verse 5 he says, according to the good pleasure of his will. And I want you to notice in verse 9, it's according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. And I want you to notice in verse 11, It's according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His will. It is because of God's good pleasure that He has blessed us with so much and given unto us. 
But there's an ultimatum here. There's an ultimate goal which God is accomplishing. And I want you to notice in verse 9, it tells us that it's according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. I want you to notice, whoop, I'm backing up here, wait a minute. Verse 6, it's according to the praise of the glory of his grace. Ultimately, God has blessed us, he has saved us. He has predestinated us, he has redeemed us through His blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. He's made known to us the mystery of His will. We've obtained an inheritance. All of this because it's to the praise of the glory of His grace. And notice what it says in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. And verse 14, that it might be unto the praise of His glory. The reason God has bestowed salvation upon us. Because the grace of God has saved us and redeemed us, it's all for the ultimate purpose to the praise of the glory of His grace. In other words, God has saved us that we might praise Him. Ultimately, that's what you're saved for. Now, let me give you some other passages of Scripture that the Word of God brings us out. I want you to notice in Isaiah 43 and down in verse 25. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, the Word of God tells us. God is speaking. He says, I, even I, am He that blots out transgressions, your transgressions, and for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. Notice why God blots out your transgressions. And why he does not remember your sins no more, it's for his own sake. It's for God's glory. That led David to pray because of this, what God has done and what God is doing. Listen to what it says in Psalm 25 in verse 11. And David's praying, he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. David knew he was a sinner. And he called upon the Lord to forgive him, not because of anything special in David, but it's because of his great namesake. Therefore, all the glory belongs unto him. Listen to what it says over in the book of Romans, chapter 11. In Romans, the 11th chapter, and verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things... To whom be glory forever. Amen. This goes hand in hand with what the Word of God says over in Revelation chapter 4. And down in verse 11, the Word of God says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. It is God who alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? It says for or because you have created all things. And for your pleasure they are and were created. God has created all things for His own pleasure. And God works after the counsel of His own will and ultimately is to the praise of the glory of His grace. But the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? God deserves the glory, but we've all fallen short of giving Him that glory that's due unto His name. 
We've all sinned. You deserve, or He deserves, you giving Him glory. But you have fallen short of that. The Word of God tells us over in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the Word of God tells us who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they suppress the truth of God. What is the truth of God that mankind suppresses? You know what? I believe it's the sovereignty of God because He being sovereign is worthy of all glory. Man falls short of giving Him that glory. Therefore, they suppress the truth concerning God's glory. He alone is worthy of that glory. What does it mean, glory? What does it mean, worthy? It's talking about the weightiness or the value of God. Therefore, if we have fallen short of giving God the glory that's due upon His name, John Piper said, the weight of infinite guilt is on mankind for not cherishing the glory of God. And you know what? That's for every individual. There's infinite guilt because you have not given God the glory that's due unto His name. Now let's ponder this for a moment. How do we give God glory? How are we to glorify God? You know what? Man, without the grace of God, working in his heart and working in his life, what happens, he finds more joy in giving himself his, the glory that God is worthy of. Man desires to glorify self. That's why we've all sinned. He's come short of the glory of God. We don't give him the glory due unto his name. We desire more to give glory to ourselves. How do we glorify God? I want you to look in John chapter 17. In the Gospel of John chapter 17, I said I'm going to be going every which direction, but we're going to camp out here in a little bit in a particular passage of Scripture. In John chapter 17, here is the high priestly prayer. Our Lord is praying. Here is the real Lord's prayer. In verse 4 he says, I have glorified you on the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ glorified God the Father on the earth. Now how did he glorify him? Notice the latter part of that verse of scripture. He says, I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. What God the Father gave the Son to do, the Son did, therefore the Father was glorified. Now I want you to notice the close relationship here between the glory of God, how we glorify God, is the same in how the Son glorified God. We must do the work that He has given us to do. He is our example. Christ is our example. The work that the Father gave the Son to do, He did. Therefore, the Son glorified the Father while He was here upon this earth. The Father's will and the Son's work. I want you to notice how it works hand in hand. Now, ponder with me. What work has God given each and every one of us to do? What, by His authority, has He commissioned us to do? That was a good strong hint. You ought to be able to pick this one out. What is that great commission that we are given by the authority of God? 
Go ahead and turn there. That's where I'm going to camp out. Matthew chapter 28. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 28. And starting in verse 16. Matthew 28 and verse 16 tells us, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, or the end of the ages. Amen. I want you to notice here, and just pondering this passage of Scripture, ask yourself some questions here. To whom is he talking to? It's quite obvious from verse 16, it says the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. So it's 11 disciples that have assembled together upon this mount where the Lord had appointed them to go. They are there. Now, this group of men, They are the apostles. They're minus one. Judas has already betrayed our Lord. Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's appointed them to meet him there. And I believe this group of men are the nucleus of what the Lord started as his church. It's the foundation of the church, him being the chief cornerstone that he started. Here, he commissions them to go. He doesn't commission them as individuals to go make disciples. He's commissioning them as a body of believers, I believe. Now, that's my personal opinion as far as the interpretation from this scripture. There are many people, there are many pastors, many many people I respect, many commentators, will say to you that the Lord started his church in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came upon them, And it was like a rushing wind of fire. And you remember how the Spirit of God gave them the ability to communicate in different tongues or languages unto so many different people who had assembled in Jerusalem and they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Many people say that the Lord started His church there. I do not believe the Lord started His church there. I believe He'd empowered His church there. And you see from Him empowering His church that that was God's stamp of approval. Here is God's people. That church had already been started because what you find in Acts chapter 1, you find there are 120 people that are gathered together and the Lord continually added to that body, continue to add to that body. When we find over in Matthew chapter 16, you remember what Jesus said to Peter. He says, you are Petros, or a little rock, little stone, stone like you can pick up and throw. You are Petros. But upon this Petra, now those are two Greek words, upon this Petra, this massive rock, I will build my church. Many people take that passage of Scripture in Matthew 16, 18, and they believe that Peter was the first pope. And they believe that the Lord's saying, the Lord built his church upon Peter. And that's not what the Scripture's saying. The church was not built upon a man. The church was built upon our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation that can be laid that has been laid. Here, I want you to notice, it's upon that massive rock, Christ, that his church was built. 
And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, his kind of church is going to be in existence from the time he started that work all the way till the time he comes again. Here, what we find is our Lord is commissioning that church to go. As he commissions them to go, he tells them, Lo, I am with you to the end of the ages. That means the end of time. In other words, the Lord's church is going to be here till he comes again. It's not going to go away. It's not going to phase out. It's not going to disappear and somebody like Alexander Campbell is going to come and start and reform the church and start a new work and you know, all these different kinds of denominations and beliefs and teachings and doctrines, all that started through man. The Lord didn't say he's going to build another kind of church. He said he was going to build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me tell you something. I believe the church the Lord built is still in this world today. And my personal conviction, I believe it's baptistic in doctrine. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't be up here right now. That's my firm conviction there. I want you to notice here what Jesus said. He says in verse 18, as he comes and starts to speak to them, he says, all power is given unto me. Jesus had all power. Now, it's not talking about this. There's two different words for, in the Greek for power. There's the word dunamos, which means strength or boom power, kind of like dynamite. That's kind of where we get that word from. All power, that's not the word used here. The word used here is exousia. All authority is given unto Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has all authority is what the Word of God is telling us. Now, if you just look at his life upon this earth, what you can see, you find that he had the power to forgive sins. You remember how the Jews were just kind of shocked that he would forgive the sins of a man. No man can forgive sins but God. You know what? They just plotted to kill him because of that. Because he's basically saying he's God. He had all authority and he's displaying that authority while he was here upon this earth. The word of God tells us that he had the authority to cast out demons. You remember when he sent out his disciples and gave them the authority to cast those demons out. It all come because of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, his authority over those demons. You remember when he spake. No man spake ever like he spake. He spoke as one who had authority. Why is that? Because he did have authority. All authority belonged unto him and still does. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, the word of God tells us, But as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. The authority, the power to become God's child. Here, notice how our Lord exercises his, his authority. You find in Matthew, he has the power to forgive sins. He's got the power to cast out demons. And here's Matthew expressing that authority right at the end of his writing as he's given that great commission. You find John displaying that authority in John chapter 1 and verse 12. You see also in John chapter 17, which we were just there. In John chapter 17 and verse 2, as Jesus is praying, praying there, he says, as you have given him power 
or authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus Christ has all authority. He has the authority to give eternal life to all that the Father has given to the Son. Notice the authority that Jesus Christ has. Look over in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And down in verse 21, the Word of God says, Concerning Christ is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in the world which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of over all things to the church. He has all authority. All authority is what the Word of God is telling us. Look over in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, and down in verse 16, the Word of God says, For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He's before all things And by Him, all things consist or are held together. He upholds all things, according to Hebrews 1.3, by the word of His power. Everything is held together by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has that authority is what the Word of God is telling us. It's consistently showing the authority Jesus Christ has. I want you to notice what it says in Colossians chapter 2. And down in verse 10 it says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and Power, exousia, all authority. He's the head of all authority is what the Word of God is telling us. Now you think about the authority that the Lord has. He says in Matthew 28 and down in verse 18, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. We just looked at samples of scriptures of how he has all authority upon earth, but he has all authority in heaven too, is what the Word of God is telling us. All authority, all power in heaven and in earth is what he's saying here. Here is Christ whom we serve. He's got all authority, therefore he's got the authority to commission his church. And what does he tell his church? He tells them to go. Now I want you to think with me for a moment. Back in New Testament times, churches were under persecution. Through centuries, the Lord's churches have been under persecution. You can go down through martyrs. Look at the book in Martyrs Mirrors in there. You see people persecuted because of their faith in Christ. Here, knowing what the Scripture says concerning Christ's authority, that ought to encourage His churches. In our day and time, let me tell you something, the world is not pro-Christianity. The world is not for the Lord's churches. But that should not discourage us. Because here, the one who has all authority is the one who's given us the power to go forth. 
What He's commanded us to do, He enables us to do. Therefore, He's told us to go. This should edify God's people through tribulation, through trials, and through persecutions and conflicts. We should be able to wage the battle because Christ has commissioned us. Who is He? He is the one who has all authority. He is the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore, we go in His power sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? That ought to give us a big oomph to get up and go. Now, I believe that churches ought to send forth missionaries. I believe we ought to give, we ought to support missionaries, we ought to support others that go into areas of the world where we're not going as far as individuals personally, and they're sharing the gospel. We need to support missions. And oh, I believe personally we need to support missions more and more. We ought to be more mission-minded. We ought to be more gospel-minded as far as the gospel going forth. Why is that? Because the more the gospel goes forth, the more people trust the Lord. The more people trust the Lord, the more praise goes to the Lord. And that's what we're all about is to give God the glory. The more glory, the glory redounds unto His name, unto Him. I want you to notice what this commission entails. The Word of God says... After he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, he says, go, because of that. Therefore, go. We go in his power and under his authority because he's commissioned us. But what are we to do? Notice what he says. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The word teach all nations very simply is the word I think it's the Greek word matheo. Matheo is talking about disciples. We're to go, we're to make disciples. Literally, as we go, we're making disciples. Now, you know what? I believe in foreign missions, but I believe in local missions. Just like Brother Craig Lowe sitting in that bed in the ER room, witnessing to a nurse, more than one. You know what? His desire is that people might be disciples and follow Christ. Here, we are told we are to make disciples as we go to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, there needs to be an intentional purpose when we go. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here, there are two characteristics in making disciples. How do we make disciples? The Word of God tells us here in the context of the Scripture. He says, baptizing them... In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And then he says, teaching them. What are we to teach them? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. All that the Lord has commanded us, we're to teach. That's how we make disciples. Baptizing identifies a person with Christ. Baptism identifies a person yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we are to teach them all the commands of our Lord. To make disciples is not just to get a profession of faith. Evangelism's good, but that's just the beginning. If you had a megaphone, and let me tell you something, we just about got a megaphone when you get on the internet. People, the word goes all over the world. It's amazing how the word goes forth in our day and time. If everybody in the world heard the gospel... Have we carried out the Great Commission? If everybody hears the gospel, 
does that mean we've carried out the Great Commission? Not according to what we're reading here. We are to make disciples is what the Word of God is telling them, telling us. We're to baptize and we're to teach them all things whatsoever He's commanded us. So sharing just the gospel with someone, that's great, but that's just a starting point. And how often we've dropped the ball in not making disciples and we just get a profession of faith. And oftentimes, it's a false faith. Now, we don't know what's false, what's not. God does. God knows the heart. You can't see the heart. By the fruit you will know them is what the Word of God tells us. But let me tell you something. That's ultimately of God. But here what God's commanding us to do, He's telling us to make disciples. Witnessing, sharing Christ is where the Great Commission starts. They must become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. Someone who follows Christ. That's what the word abide means. Here, I want you to notice the particular passage of Scripture. Look over in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, I want you to notice what the Word of God says down in verse 31. John, chapter 8, verse 31 The Word of God says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him. Now notice there, there are certain Jews that are believing on Him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Notice the word continue. That's the word meno. It means remain. It means abide. It means to dwell. To stay. Jesus is telling these that believed on him, is what the Word of God says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I want you to notice what the Word of God says down in verse 57. Not 57, hang on a minute. Verse 51, Jesus repeats what he said to it in different words. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. The word keep is the word meno. Remain, abide. Dwelling in. Staying with the word of God. You'll never see death. In other words, you've passed from death into life. And you're going to heaven. You're his child. Ultimately is what he's saying. Now I want you to look back to verse 37. In chapter 8, verse 37 says this. As Jesus is talking to these same people, these Jews, and it's said in verse 31, which believed on him. In verse 37 he says, I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. I want you to notice here, it seems like a little bit of a contradiction. But anytime there's ever seemingly a contradiction as far as the way we look at things, the contradiction's up here, not right here. The word of God is telling us there were certain ones, the Jews, that believed on him. And Jesus looks at them and he tells them, but you're seeking to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. What is he saying here? 
These are false believers. These are ones that are not continuing with him. Therefore, they're seeking to kill him. They do not continue to remain with him, abide with him. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. You remember the word abide there? The same word that's used right here. Here, I want you to notice the importance of continuing in the faith. Here's what we teach and believe. Doctrinally, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, if you're a child of God, you will persevere in the faith. There is a loose terminology which has gone baptistic amongst many, and it's loosely said, once saved, always saved. That's not a good definition. Because that implies you can live like you want to and do whatever you want to and do your own thing and you're still master of your own life. Well, that ain't a life that's surrendered to the Lord and continuing with the Lord. We must abide in Him. We must continue in His Word as He's saying here in the Scripture that we're reading here. Continue in my Word, then you are my disciples indeed. What we are looking for, as I said this morning, we're not just looking for a profession of faith. That is only the beginning as far as discipling people. We must make them followers of Jesus Christ. Now, ultimately, that's of God, but God uses us as his people because here in the Great Commission, he's commanding us to go make disciples. How do we do that? By baptizing. That means you've got to have a profession of faith and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, you, you think about that. They must become a follower of Christ. When we think about the gospel, we must always think about Christ. The gospel is about magnifying Him. It's His work. It's His glory. It's He who does the saving. It's He who does the keeping. It's He that we follow. It's He that we teach about concerning all His commands. Here's how we make disciples. Therefore, He gets glory to His name. What is the demands of the gospel? When just we look at the gospel, what does the gospel demand of us? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. There is... My dear brother down in Trinidad that's coming up to see us as a friend, as a preacher, who renounces repentance as part of salvation. You know what? Without repentance, there's no change of heart. There's no change of heart. The Spirit of God has not done a work in the person's heart. There's got to be a turning, and it's the Spirit of God who convicts of sin and points us to Christ, and we by faith trust in Him. That's a work of God. Repentance and belief unto salvation. It is the Spirit of God. It's what we want to see working in people's lives that turns the affections of the heart toward Christ. To where before I trusted Christ, I did my own thing. After I trusted Christ, I love Him. I desire to follow Him. Am I perfect? I stumble. I stumble too much, literally and spiritually. But you know what? We all stumble. 
But it's my heart's desire. What my drive is, is to follow after Him, to continue in His Word, to be obedient unto His commands. And that ought to be your heart's desire too if you're a child of God. It is the Spirit of God working in our hearts. And that's what we desire to see. People coming to a saving knowledge and following Jesus Christ. They're being discipled. And they're being disciples. And notice what Jesus said. In the very last verse there, he says, And lo, I'm with you always. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter who you're witnessing to, no matter who you're talking to, if you're preaching to a bunch of people, or if you're just talking one-on-one to a nurse in the middle of ER and somebody don't like it and their boss don't like it and they're getting upset at the nurse or whatever, it might be school and you might be a teacher and the principal don't like you witnessing to somebody. Listen to what the scripture says. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. You've got the authority of Christ commissioning you to go and be a witness. What greater power is there? None. (laughs) Zero. Zilch. Nada. Nothing. We believe in missions. And you know what? It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. But the commission is involved much more than just the believe in the gospel. It's then continuing in His Word. I want you to look over to the book of Acts, chapter 11, if you would. In Acts chapter 11, I want to kind of close with this because here's what the first church at Jerusalem was doing in that particular time. In Acts chapter 11, go down to verse 19. In verse 19... It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice in verses 19 and 20, persecution hit the church, they were going. They were going. As they were going, notice in verse 21, the latter part of that verse, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. They're making disciples. Look at the verse 24 in the latter part of that. And much people was added unto the Lord. In other words, they were making disciples. Notice what it says in verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people... And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What are they doing? They're teaching them, is what the Word of God's telling us. They're teaching them a whole year. What are they teaching them? All things that our Lord has commanded. Instructing them what His commandments are. And then notice verse 21 and the first part of verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. You see, they put into practice, though the Lord sent persecution to put it into practice, they were going, and as they were going, they were making disciples. As they made disciples, they were instructing those. The Lord added, 
and the Lord was with them. Here is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ working through his body. May we at New Life Baptist Church even so display the boldness to proclaim Christ in a lost and dying world. It's his authority that's backing us as we go forward. It's his presence that is with us. It is his power that converts sinners. There is no greater authority. I don't care who you employed by. They could be totally atheistic, agnostic, whatever you want to call them. They could be antichrist. You're under the authority of your Lord. Don't let man make you fear. If the Lord be for us, who can be against us? May we boldly proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. May we share the gospel with people. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. His power is with you. As you go forth sharing, pray that God will give the increase. All he's commanded us to do is to go, make disciple, baptize, teach them all things whatsoever he's commanded us. May we fulfill this great commission. And may we have a heart and a passion not only for lost souls, but ultimately for the glory of God. That his glory might redound all the more, all the more. The more we hear people praising the Lord, the more our soul ought to be lifted up, glorifying him with those who glorify him. He is worthy of all glory. May God make us a faithful witness. We're going to give a hymn of invitation. If you know not the Lord, if you are not his disciple, if you are not his follower, may God convict you right where you are. And may you, under the conviction of the Spirit of God, turn from your wicked way and by faith trust in him that God might be all the more glorified. And you know what will happen? This body of believers just starts rejoicing all the more. Let's stand and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word and the pattern you have set down as far as for missions and mission work to carry on through your body. Lord, may we be faithful to your word. May we not be scared of man, but may we boldly proclaim with a heart of love for people and a desire to glorify your name, Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. We ask that you work in hearts even this evening, that you would make disciples even amongst us this evening, according to the good pleasure of your will, to the praise of the glory of your grace. Amen.
We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Very simple song, little chorus. In my life, Lord, be glorified.